seconds. If you had a red brick and a white towel, what are the two things you can do with it? You have 30 seconds. Go. Are you doing this to me right now? If I'm, I'm doing this to you right t- now. If you have a, 30 seconds. If you have a red, red brick, brick and, a white, and a white towel, what would you do what, with it? Together. What would you do with them together? How many? What kind of things could you use them for? Uh... Hey, hey, and welcome to episode number three of That Remote Show, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. I'm your host, Mika Krashovsky, and I want to say thank you so much for joining in to episode number three of this of this show. It really means the world to me. I know there are tons of other things that you could be listening to, and the fact that you're tuning in this early on to this podcast uh, is, is amazing. Thank you so much. Uh, and before we dive into this uh, interview, I want to say uh, if you haven't left a review at a review yet on this podcast, please pause this episode and do so. Uh, an honest review would be amazing. It's what helps other people find the podcast and informs them to what they can expect and if it's something that they would like. So if you haven't left a review on the podcast yet, please do so. Um, but with that short message, it's now time to uh, dive into this interview with Ray Blakeney. Ray is the CEO and founder of Live Lingua. And Live Lingua is one of the biggest language learning schools online. Uh, they're a multi-million dollar company that helps its users learn languages with actual coaches. So this isn't like Rosetta Stone where you get these like recordings or anything like that. It's an actual uh, platform that helps you find coaches to teach you uh, a language. And this is, like I said, this is a multi-million dollar business. And the most amazing part of it is that this entire business is run completely location independently. So Ray and all of his employees do not have an office building. They don't live next to each other in the same town. They're all distributed all over the world. And so you're going to get to hear a lot about how Ray was able to build this company and build a distributed team in order to run this, you know, now very large and successful company. And you're going to get to hear a lot. We're going to talk about travel and we're going to talk uh, about SEO. Ray is one of those wizards in SEO, so you're going to hear uh, some of the strategies that he used early on to rank on Google, and just an awesome conversation. Uh, him and I can just talk for hours and hours uh, about entrepreneurship and just the online, the digital nomad location independent scene, so I'm super excited to have you guys kind of listen into that conversation, but I'm not going to go in any further than that because I want you guys to get to listen in firsthand. So without uh, delaying this any further, guys, and sit back, grab a, grab an adult beverage, or if it's too early in the morning, a coffee, and sit back and relax and enjoy this conversation between me and Ray Blakeney from LiveLingua.com. All right. Well, welcome to the show, Ray. How are you doing, buddy? Not too bad, Mitko. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for taking the time to uh, you know chat with me. And I'm super excited about this interview because you and I have gotten to hang out a little bit. Um, and we used to be on a mastermind together. And you're somebody who has just provided so much information and 
so many lessons to me that I'm super pumped for this episode. Hopefully some people... of that information was good information because, you know, providing information is easy. <laughs> Useful well, information is totally different, you know, right? <laughs> definitely five out of 10. No, I'm just kidding. Nice, no, definitely. Nice, 50%. <laughs> no, definitely. Uh, it's been a lot of, uh, you've been a lot of help to my journey. And so I'm really excited for people to hear about you and the lessons that you've learned. Uh, Cause I think it's gonna be super helpful. Um, so to start off, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, what do you do right now? Uh, I start and run businesses. Uh, I like the start part much more than the running part, but luckily I have been successful in both. And I, you know, I'm running a number of businesses in the seven figures um, virtually nowadays, which we'll get into in more details. That's the corporate answer. The other answer is I work at home in my Superman pajamas most days. So that's kind of, you know, that's the real answer. I sit at home and, are you, you know. Are you wearing those right now? or? <laughs> yeah, of course. But I'm not going to stand up to show you on the camera, right? But of course, that, that, that's my uniform at work now. So um, that's basically what I do. I particularly focus on the online space. And actually, online education um, is kind of the niche I've fallen into. Um, not intentionally. But I think we'll get to that a little later when I, yeah. we talk about and, the founding of the company. And what is the uh, what's the company called that you run that's like your day to day? Sure, LiveLingua.com, L-I-V-E-L-I-N-G-U-A.com. Um, we're one of the top five online language schools, and we're the only one in the top five that is bootstrapped. All our competitors have Series B, Series C financing, ten, twenty million dollars. We started for nine dollars and ninety nine cents. I didn't so, know that. Know, that's yeah, we're that's the only definitely one. really cool. How how does that like make you feel like that everybody else has gotten funding and you guys haven't? It feels good. And uh, the funding thing is at least two or three times a month I get VC people contacting me and once every two months or so people want to buy us. I mean it's a pretty regular occurrence. I'd be shocked if a month goes by without somebody trying, you know, reaching out to buy us. They're not offering prices that are within the, you know, reasonable. They're offering like 3x of mm -hmm. our net. I'm still in my 30s. You know, give me three years of income. That's not really going to help me very much in my right. life, right? Um, but I'm looking to grow to a certain point where they start offering 8 to 10x. And at that point, that gets into like FU money. Um, mm -hmm. I'm assuming this is a PG-13 podcast. But yeah. Hey, um, it's okay. We can make it R for you. Don't worry about it. Exactly. So, you know, that that's what I'm looking to get up to so I can, you know, focus on some other things that I, I'm passionate about. But yeah. So you run LiveLingua. It's a pretty big business. Um was that your first business or were there things before that? Yeah, we. my first business along with my wife is we actually own brick and mortar language schools in Mexico. My wife is Mexican. So we opened up what they call language immersion schools down here. It's when foreigners come generally from the US, Canada and Europe, number from Australia as well. And they would come and they'd spend a week to six months in Mexico. We'd arrange for them to live with a Mexican family. We, they would have classes during the day. We'd have activities and tours and everything. It was kind of like a full-service um, school. We ended up having three different locations. But that's how we started the business. We bootstrapped that one as well. Literally, I think we had $2,000 in my bank account to start the business and live. And in the beginning, we couldn't afford an apartment and a rental facility for the school. So we would actually sleep in one of the classrooms. It was just a house. But we would sleep in one of the classrooms on an inflatable mattress that had a hole in it. So we at that, we would actually go to bed, and by the time we woke up, we'd be flat on the floor because the, by, you know, during the course of the evening, but we couldn't afford anything else. Um, we really yeah, happened to- You're not sleeping in, in that case, you know, you gotta- No, no you, well, we had to be, we had to be up at six because, yeah. yeah. That's the best type of alarm the right there. 
Exactly. You have no choice. Everything aches when you wake up in the morning. We'd roll up the bed, put it under my desk in the office. We only had like one desk in the office and like enough desks for like two out of the four classrooms. But we would move the desks around during the break so that we put students in different classrooms so they'd think they would actually have different environments. That lasted two months. We were lucky to be full after two months. And People paid all their deposits up front, so we used that to kind of fully furnish the school. Um, and we were really happy when we were able to move out of that into an apartment, which was right next to the train tracks. Literally, there was our bed, the wall, and the train would pass about three meters on the other side. So at three in the morning, our whole bedroom would start shaking. That was I'm our trying first to see time. a pattern of uh, you know good sleeping environments here. Yeah, exactly. So now I can sleep anywhere. It doesn't matter. I can sleep right. <laughs> I might fall asleep in the middle of the podcast. We hear snoring, just kind of sense of beeping over, right? <laughs> nice. So. You said that you guys, you know, were kind of like full within two months. What did you do to fill out in two months? Sure. Um, Yeah, no, actually, we were full before that. Um, We had like 11 students the day we opened, which, you know, we were a small school at the time. So we had about 25 was our max 30. We expanded into bigger facilities after that. But, you know, in the beginning, I think 30 would have been the most. We didn't have enough teachers for 30. I mean, if you're 30 people that signed up at the beginning, we only had two teachers and my wife, who is also a language teacher. Um, I learned about something called SEO. This was about 14 years ago, and not very many people knew about it back then. I don't think everybody knows about it today, but it's essentially what gets you to rank number one on Google. It's, I've learned about it six months before we opened our school. I'm a computer engineering by, by training. I figured it out pretty quickly. And three months before we opened our school, we were number one in Mexico in Google results. We hadn't even opened yet, but we were number one in Google results for learn Spanish in Mexico, Spanish schools in Mexico, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. So we would get dozens of inquiries a week, uh, which doesn't sound like much to some businesses, but for like a brick and mortar school, a dozen inquiries a week is a ton. Especially Um, brand new. Exactly. We, we weren't even open. I mean, the photos were like stock photos of our city on the website because we didn't actually have a building to take photos of, uh, you know, when I made it. So my wife actually moved. I was in the Peace Corps at the time. She moved to the city we opened the school in a month before I did. We got married in the school the week before the building because, again, we couldn't afford another wedding. And then we started the school in the same building we had our wedding in. And yeah, she got it all set up. She she did all that. She's the academic genius in, in, in all of our businesses because I know nothing, you know, uh, about that, or I knew nothing about that. Now I, through osmosis, I've picked up a little bit. Sure, sure. And yeah, we just opened it up. She hired two teachers before I even arrived, and I was kind of in charge of the administrative side, the tours, um, and the online marketing. No other Spanish school essentially had a full time SEO engineer on staff except wow. us. So for all the time we ran the school, we were number one and two. There was a school in another city that I would keep competing with. But we were number one or two in the country um, for yeah. the entire time we were you there. Hit like a, you hit like a gold mine there. You know, like you were there before everybody else was. So that's killer. So exactly. you started this brick and mortar business and that was going well. What made you go from brick and mortar to online? Swine flu. Okay. I was not expecting that as the answer. (laughs) So pretty much swine flu hit about six months after we started our brick and mortar school. And for about a month, the, for those of you who remembered the U S was, and the world was saying nobody should go to Mexico. I mean, they were talking about quarantining all flights in the country and this was going to be the next black plague, all of that kind of stuff. So everybody canceled and we were pretty new then. So it's not like my wife and I had a huge amount of savings to weather this out or anything. We needed to find some some income. We also need to find income for our teachers. A lot of them are contractors who lived, unfortunately, week to week. We paid them much better than any other school, but financial planning wasn't a big thing. So you pay a Monday, they're out of money by Friday. They need money by the next Monday. doesn't matter how much they made. It was almost exactly that. So we had the idea of maybe reaching out to our existing students, 
you know, the ones who had studied with us before and see if they wanted to take classes with Skype because we had a lot of returning students. They really loved our school. Um, and since I'm a computer programmer, I'm like, I might as well just throw up a website, you know, offer, you know, to make a little look a little bit more professional. So I threw up a, a simple website. We offered it to our existing students. I did SEO on it within three months because we were one of the first people to do these kind of classes online. We were number one in the world for Spanish lessons online and learn Spanish online and all that. Within six months, we were making more money than we were in our three brick and mortar schools with our online Spanish lessons, working like an hour a day. And I was working 12 to 14 hours. We didn't have vacations for the first three years of us starting businesses. Um, at that point, I was almost burning out. My wife can, you know, we even thought of closing the other schools because we're like, look, we're making more on our online. Why do I have to, why do we have to put up with this stuff? And you're paying a ton of overhead on the, on the oh, schools. Oh, yeah, rent. Yeah. Yeah. Ta you know, taxes, uh, all the benefits stuff that you have to do when you have a brick and mortar mm -hmm. kind of business. But she convinced me to stay and it was a good thing because I said, okay, can we at least put it for sale? And we did. It took two years to sell it. Now, you know, selling a business is not like going on eBay and selling your old CDs. I mean, it takes time. We had two or three people inquire never really went anywhere and eventually somebody bought it so after, you sold the brick and mortar business so yeah. live lingua is not what it, what the brick and mortar business was called it's, it's a completely different no. business yeah the other oh, business okay. was called something else live lingua was registered out of boston as i'm american so it was registered right. out of boston our brick and mortar businesses were put in my wife's name here in mexico um it simplified taxes a foreigner running a business in you know the us if my wife's name is on that or if i was involved in the business here on paper there's a whole bunch of other loops you got to you know, mm -hmm. jump through for the, you know, as far as the Mexican government's concerned or the U.S. government's concerned. So sure. we put mine in the U.S., hers here. Helped us for the tax as well. One of the things about being virtual that's awesome is if you live in countries, you get tax exemption. Like in Mexico for the first 105,000-ish, um, don't quote me on that, changes every year, you don't have to pay taxes. Right. In the U.S. Because they assume you're paying taxes in Mexico. but. In a lot of cases, and we were paying taxes on in this case in Mexico, but I know a lot of people who make a lot, you know, make money down here. Seventy percent of Mexicans don't pay taxes, and the, the Mexican government has no idea that you're making money online. I mean, there's they don't track that. So a lot of people move down to countries like this, don't pay hundred thousand dollars worth of taxes in the United States, and don't pay taxes in the country they're in either. And so they save a hundred thousand dollars in taxes. Nice. I can't do that. That's My a... business is an <laughs> LLC, it's in Boston and it's registered in the US and my business pays taxes, you know, right. over there, I'd say. But <laughs> yeah, we got we to say that on the air, you know? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But if you want to – if you're starting off and you're making like 10, 20 grand, it's a good way to kind of make that money go a lot farther. Plus it's 50% oh, sure. cheaper here if not more. So so what was that experience of, you know, selling the brick and more business? Like, you know, was it tough? What was the, what was the emotional, you know, <sighs> struggle that you went through on that? Let me go – there's two parts. I had no emotional struggle in selling the business because I don't get attached to the businesses. I like creating them. I have no emotional, even live lingua. I, I love what I do, but I would love selling, you know, if there was a business around selling donkeys online or something like that. I would still love that because it's kind of the process that I like. It's not really mm -hmm. the donkeys or the languages or any of that. Um, so that's the first part. The second part was it sucked because the person who bought the business ended up being crazy. Um, <laughs> that's always good. <laughs> no, no. I mean literally I think the first day they were there, they said something to the new staff saying, I'm the new boss and if I tell you the sky is red, you have to repeat that to the students. Oh, nice. I mean it was that kind of person and yeah, I mean half the staff quit within the first month um, and they ran it into the ground within a year. <laughs> Oh, wow. So that part was not, and they would bug us every day. And even though there was, anyway, there were contracts and stuff like that. So that part wasn't as much fun. 
but it wasn't because I had an emo- emotional. Now, my wife did. She mm-hmm. dreamed about having a school her whole life. She's a teacher. She's one of those people who, you know those kids who at five years old, you see them and you know exactly what they're going to be? He's going to be a doctor. He's going to be right. – She. They knew she was going to be a teacher. She put her dolls and teach them classes when she was four. I mean, you know, there was no doubt she loves teaching. She, you can tell when she gets out of her class, she gets excited about it. Um, so having a school was her dream. Mine was just having a business. Um, and we already had another business. So it wasn't like I – LiveLingual was already making more than enough for us to live when we sold the first one. Right, so so there was like, overlap between the two. I like that. I mean if we ever sell LiveLingua, um, which we hope to at some point in our lives, hopefully I'll already have another – business or two going. So it won't be like, what do I do today? And it'll be okay. That's there. Let's continue working on growing these other businesses. So you sell the business and I'm guessing you got some amount of money for that to get. What did you use that money? Did you take your first vacation like you were saying, or did you throw that straight into the business, into LiveLingua? Well, the first thing we did was we bought our house. So okay. we don't have, we don't have any mortgage um, or rent. We haven't paid mortgage or rent in I think going on seven years now. Um, other that's than that, your house in, in, Mexico. in Mexico. Exactly. Right. We bought a small old historic home and we renovated it and that's where we live. Not big. It's 1200 square feet, but for the two of us, more than, yeah. more than enough space. Um, up until recently, we hadn't owned a car in 10 years. We just bought one recently because we're looking to move to the U S for a few years. So my wife can get her master's and she needs to practice driving. So <laughs> we, we, we found an old junker and we bought it and we're driving it around now, but it's, you know, like a $3,000, 10-year-old sure, car that we're sure. driving around. Um, we Luckily, neither one of us had any debt, so we had no debt to pay off. Um, I do have some college loans, but they have a 2% interest rate, so literally inflation is paying those off. So And my, the amount of college loans I have compared to what I hear other people have is relatively small. Yeah, so, I'm going to tell you having that problem myself uh, – what you just said was just like you just like stabbed me. You know, the- <laughs> I graduated at the right time in 2002. It was like the lowest interest rate possible or something oh, like that man. for those. So, yeah. And I think I have under 10 – I have like $9,000 or something left on it. I mean it's – luckily it could be paid off easily but right. it's my own revolving debt in the US. keeps my credit up. Sure. It's like, it's like 100 bucks a month. Strategic and, at this point, right? Exactly. Yeah, because I don't have any other revolving debt in the US so we keep that um, going. But that was it. So we really had no debt at that point. Mm-hmm. Most of that money from the sale, we still have. It's well, you know, we put it to sure. investment funds, and we're just waiting for it. And because LiveLingo is already running, you didn't feel like you needed to invest that. In, until in, recently, in the, we didn't invest. Lingo, I mean. Yeah, we until recently, I did. We didn't invest anything in LiveLingo in the traditional sense, other than time. We spent mm-hmm. a lot of time in LiveLingo, but like big cash investments. No, until last year. We started about six months ago. I think we're get, gotcha. we've gotten to the size where just my time investment and my wife's time investment and even our core team who's awesome. But even their time investment is not enough to take us to the next level. We, you know, we just finished working with an email marketing um, agency. So they kind of went through and helped us with all our emails and all that. And about two weeks ago, we started with a UI UX company. So we're going to be redesigning the entire website. I'll be honest. I'm not a designer. I mean, I, I – the current design that's there is I bought for $25 and a free, you know, at one of those website things and I did it. Um, sure. It's not that bad. Apparently, you know, we've succeeded <laughs> despite my bad design, but it's good enough. But the UI UX people looked at it and, you know, I could see them cringe. They're like, oh my God. So, you know, I'm hopeful that what we'll end up with in the next six months will be kind of cool. All right. And, you know, working with them now, they're talking to our customers, kind of getting feedback and we're going to build it all around that. That will be the single biggest investment that we've ever made in our business. And it's, yeah, I mean it's you know how buy a house in cash big, so I'm me being cheap 
I I'm, I I was crying every single day after signing that contract. That was just bawling. <laughs> so yeah. I definitely I definitely understand that. Um, mm-hmm. I want to chat a little bit about. So you went from owning, you know, your brick and mortar business to then getting rid of that and going fully online. What was the difference there? What were did you have any struggles? Like what was the how did the experience change for you guys? Okay, the first few months was awesome. Just because suddenly we went from working 14 hours in a brick and mortar, seven days a week, no time off, to working from home in our pajamas. You know, it was a weird transition to make. The the difficulty there is the discipline. Of, you know, now I don't have to go to an office anymore, so I don't have to wake up at a certain hour and keeping all the pattern. Luckily, I have a lot of faults, but like discipline is like my superpower. It's super boring. But that is like, you know, I'm if you ask me what I'm doing at what hour on a Tuesday next week, I will tell you exactly what I'm doing on a Tuesday next week at 915. I mean, you it's, know, it's funny that you say that because we were together. How many months ago was it like four at this point at the location Indie conference yeah. in Denver? Mm-hmm. And it was really funny because we we're all talking about, you know, like how like exactly about this, like scheduling out your days when you're working remotely. And it was really funny because everybody talked about, you know, struggling. And then you came out and you were like, I do this at this time every single day. Exactly. <laughs> I did, I, that was actually my epiphany. I had no idea that was weird until I was in that room. I'm like, doesn't everybody do that? I'm like, there no. were so many there were so many like visual daggers from people's eyes going into it <laughs> <laughs> well that just makes my life well here's the here's the truth though it's not why am i disciplined it's because i'm lazy and most people don't realize that lazy mm. people are usually if you think of if lazy people who don't want to do work are the most disciplined and most efficient right why am i disciplined because i'm too lazy to try to figure out what i'm going to do today I don't want to have to worry about it in the morning. Why do I work in the same Superman pajamas every day? Because I don't want to worry about what I'm putting right, on today. Right. What do I do at 9 o'clock? 9 o'clock is when I check emails until 9.30. I don't have to decide. I don't have to – so what am I doing now? It's all there. I have a list for the next two weeks of what I'm supposed to do every day. Um, and That I reminds to- me of uh, – I heard somewhere when I was uh, – because I was toying around with learning – like coding and being a developer about a year ago and and somebody told me and I thought this was really interesting they said the best developers are lazy because you know they like just the the code that they do needs to be so simple that they don't really have to do that much work and get the job done so it's really interesting that you say that and you worked with computers I'm a a developer yeah I mean exactly that's what my college degree is I'm a software developer um that's how it all got started so yeah, I definitely agree, and that's why I'm so disciplined. I mean, you know, I know what I'm doing almost every night of the week. I know what I'm doing at almost every hour, and it helps get a lot done. If I get done, but you know, you have to reward and punish yourself in the sense that if if it doesn't work out. So if I'm ever if I finish work at three o'clock, I stop working because you know I did my whole list for the day. But if I need to work to six or seven some days, then I'll do that as well. I've gotten pretty good over the years that I mean I'm almost always finished between five and six, which is when I want to kind of my sweet spot for finishing my work. So I think one of the because, I mean, that sounds really good, but one of the things that I think that a lot of people who work remotely and especially entrepreneurs have to deal with is when is the work done, right? Because there's always something else that you can do. How do you uh, decide that? Like, you know, like I'm done with work today because, I mean, I could be in front of the computer all day, every day, and the work will never be done. It's a, I'll rephrase that. That's a really good point and a good question. It's not that the work is done. It's my to-dos for the day are done. What I do is I break you know, let's do a simple one. You have to put up a website. It's pretty easy to break that down. If you've done it before, for example, if, or you've been doing it for a few years, I've been doing, I've been an online entrepreneur now for going on 11 years, 12 years. So over a decade, 
So um, I know what the steps are to do most of the tasks. So I can either do them or I can have one of my staff do them and I can break them down. So what I do is I do break them down and I even have a good idea of how long that's going to take. So let's say you're going to create a website. You need to sign up for a server. You need to buy the theme. You need to install WordPress. you got to upload the WordPress thing and all that kind of stuff. I know, let's say, getting a server will take about an hour if you know the domain name. Um, installing WordPress might take two or three hours. Uh, WordPress with a theme, right? You follow the instructions. There you go. Um, and you need time to break. So I try to plan about five to six hours worth of work a day because I know other stuff's going to come up. I know emails are going to come up. Um, that's how I plan every single day for the next two weeks. I don't plan out more than two weeks. If anybody asks me what my six-month plan is, I don't have one. Um, even for my business, which a lot of people are surprised. They're like, you know, where is your business going to be in six months? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So why would I do that? So I plan two weeks out and that's I found that that's the most I can plan out and be about 80% accurate with my time. Any more than that, who knows, you know. So – you you don't have like do you still have like goals for the business in six month year like terms or like not at all no no hmm that's interesting yeah i mean you know i'd like to sell it in the next five to ten years if you want a goal but five to ten years that's a pretty (laughs) exactly so you know um because i know that at least the way i do businesses which is kind of bootstrap it's very hard to predict that kind of thing Mm mm-hmm I can't speak to those people who have twenty million dollars and you know they project out five years and they say it's where we're going to grow at forty percent a year and that's how we're going to reach this and we're going to exit. I've never done it. I don't know how to do that. I just know that you know I could plan my day today and the server will crash and my whole plan just went up in smoke. I have to spend the whole day fixing the server or get you know getting on team with my team of programmers and fix the server. I would probably do it myself. That's faster than talking to other people. But you know those kind of things happen. One of your key staff members might quit tomorrow. You have no idea. Plan's gone. So if you planned out six months and then suddenly something big happens, you know, you're SOL. So I think I think one of the reasons why I set goals and – I mean I, I hate to speak for other people but I think why a lot of people set goals is to make sure that, that growth con- continues, right? And so, you know, if I've set out a, a certain amount of goals for three months and I don't hit them, then the growth hasn't gone and, you know – like I wanted to, how do you then measure that growth if you don't have those goals to like compare it to? I just measure if we grow. In in what ways? Like what is like, let's, I mean, we're getting a little deep here, but like what are the metrics that you guys consider in terms of growth? Gross and net income. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's pretty it's much like, it. I don't see, I'm, I told you, you I'm lazy. Do you compare it? Do you like, how often do you check that? Is it just like when you have to file your taxes at the end of the year or do you like, well, no, the... I check every single day how much we made on the day. I've, you know, I've written our own CRM system. I can tell you up, you know, the last, at this time, how much we've made today. So you um, check every day. Oh, probably every 30 minutes. Um, you know, Does that not probably... stress you out? Like, why do you check that often? Uh, maybe a little obsessive about it. I mean, I check how many, you know, trials we have and people pay. It also helps me react quickly to problems. Mm-hmm. If certain numbers are not or where they're supposed to be, I notice really quickly, really quickly, which means I can go and fix them. Since we're a small team, we're very agile as well. I don't have to check with anybody else and consult. I don't find out a month after the fact that we have problems. I find out probably an hour after the fact that we had a problem so I can start working on it now. Um, and it actually, I find it relieves my stress to be working on a problem. 
uh, as opposed to not knowing about it and being hit a month later, and then you can't do anything about it anyway because it's already passed. So for me, it works. I, I do have certain dis- – I mean I don't check anything on the weekends, so I have my like me time. And I don't do anything after 6 o'clock at night or before 8 o'clock in the morning. But before between those times, I'll, I'll check you know pretty religiously. It's almost – like some people click on the Facebook, you know, link and subconsciously I check on those statistics subconsciously. You know, it's just not even a habit. It's on my phone. It's a shortcut on, the, you know, on the homepage of my phone. I'll open it up and I can see all the stats. But I'm not necessarily recommending that to everybody. It's just what works for me. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you have the online business. You had, you know, you learned a lot from running the brick and mortar business. Now you're in live lingua. At this point. I'm guessing how many years have passed since you started the brick or the brick and mortar business to being fully in live lingua? Five. Five. So maybe the, you know, like things were getting a little more, you know, more people had discovered SEO and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. How did you grow live lingua at that point? Well, there were multi- we were growing organically. So SEO again. SEO, but I I built LiveLingua twice because the first time I did it, it wasn't actually called LiveLingua. It was 11 microsites. Then Google had a huge algorithm update which killed all 11 microsites and I built it again from the ground up. What do you mean by you built it in 11 microsites? I used the Spanish-Lessons-Online.com, Online-Lessons-OnlineEnglishLessons.com. Oh, trying to use the domain to get you Oh, because that used to work. That used right. to work, right? And you know, we would rank number one for all of those. But Google did. Google does algorithm updates all the time. It's right. very frustrating. Um, <laughs> in 2012, they did one called the Google Penguin update, and yep. it killed every single site I owned. I woke up in the morning, we were gone. Luckily, we already had about 500 students by then. So those students just don't disappear overnight because they continue to take classes with us. But I had to start from zero. We had the website LiveLingua.com, which we just had as a corporate site. Mm-hmm. You know, and saying all these other websites are part of LiveLingua.com. But we I did no link building to it, none of that. So I had to throw away those 11 sites and I built – I put everything on LiveLingua.com. We knew the business model worked and I started doing SEO again from the ground up. Um, I was doing what they called gray hat back then, which was fine because everybody in the world was. I mean if you weren't, you were not on the first page. Forget about it. It was just absolutely – you were not going to be on the first page of Google. So I've heard of black hat. Obviously, you know, for people who are listening, basically black hat is like the really sketchy things that you don't want to mm-hmm. do. And then white hat is obviously like the the fine and dandy stuff. What is gray hat? Gray hat is the stuff on the border that depending on whether Google moves the border a little to the left or the right, you might be on it. For example, back then link exchanges was a big thing and it wasn't directly a violation of Google's terms and conditions. Hey, you say, hey, you give me a link, I give you a link. That's it. Right. They, um they also their old algorithm would also rank you based on what the anchor text said. So if your anchor text said anchor text is what you see when you see a link on a page, mm-hmm. um, it can be what they call a naked anchor text, which is just www.livelingua.com, or it can say Spanish lessons online, and then you click on it, and then it goes to livelingua.com. Right? Mm-hmm. That's what you used to have to do. So I had all these links that said learn Spanish online, Spanish lessons online. They also decided that was now artificial and manipulative even though it worked for 15, 20 years before. Mm-hmm. They just randomly decided hundreds of thousands of businesses went bankrupt overnight. I mean, it wasn't just me. It wasn't, I wasn't targeted, but about you know hundreds of thousands of businesses went bankrupt overnight. So I have to start again doing white hat SEO. 
uh, which, you know, I, I'd like to think I did like 70% white hat, maybe 60 um, back then. And, it, you know, 40% gray hat. But now I do 100% white hat because that's what you need to do to rank. And it's working. I mean, if you look for Spanish tutors, we're probably three or four in your city. Um, you know, Spanish lessons online, we should be in the top three or four as well. Again, the only ones who beat us are these big companies that literally have 20 to $20 million of investment behind them. And we're just, mm -hmm. you know, me and my wife at home, um, you know, competing against the big boys. But we get much more personalized. We, that's why we have to choose our niche. They, they kind of go for the volume. They got to pay back their investors. That's really, you know, the problem. For us, we don't need to make as much money. It's just us. And we, we're kind of going more for the personalized boutique. So we get to know our students, get to know our teachers, as opposed to the other people who need to have 100,000 students and 100,000 teachers just to pay their bills. Um, so, you know, by, by necessity, we're a slightly different market than the rest is. Hmm. So how did you how did you grow live lingual all over again? Like what were the SEO tactics that you used? And well, let me let me say let me rephrase that. What are the SEO tactics that you would advise people use today versus Perfect. back then? It's becoming more trendy, but there's it's something called content marketing, but I, it's also become a little bit of a buzzword. Pretty much put something cool on your website and tell people about it. That's a super simplified way of doing it. The way that I was able to do it was I was in something called the Peace Corps. For those of you who are not in the United States might not know what it is, but it's a volunteer organization. I quit my corporate job in the United States and I decided to volunteer in southern Mexico for two years. That gave me some contacts, which also gave me access to this free language learning material created by the U.S. government, public domain. I mean, you know, if the U.S. if tax dollars paid for it and it's not top secret, it's public domain. So I just took all of those and put them on my website and then I told everybody about it. So we now have 150 free language courses on our website, 150 languages worth of free courses. I think we have thousands of courses. I mean, we'll teach you Swahili, we'll teach you Maasai, we'll teach you Ikpatan. I don't even know where Ikpatan's from, um, but we have a course on it, yeah. you know. I mean, literally, we have language courses created for for languages that are only spoken by 5,000 people in the northern part of Nigeria. We are the only people on the web who have that. That's what they call an SEO link bait, which means people link to it. I have links from the Library of Congress, the U.S. State Department, from universities across the world. Because when the you know Department of Africa Studies is looking for somebody to reference on that language, we come up and they use our material entirely for free. We don't have – you know, we don't – ask for their emails, nothing, but they link back to us. So that's one technique. The other why technique, would you put one? Why would you put like free courses on your website where you're getting people to pay you to teach them courses? The same reason why people start with free apps and end up with us, because you're not going to, I strongly believe, and there's science, you know, there's studies out there that show it, that you need a teacher to be able to learn Languages are almost most things really mm. well. Um, there are exceptions, but most things really well. So I can give, and I don't. I'm sure a lot of your listeners will relate to this. I took French for years. I can't speak a word of French. How many of you took high school Spanish or high right. school something else, Latin? Can't speak it. Um, if I gave you a book to learn German, and here you here's the book. I'll even give you a CD, really fancy, because that's right. what <laughs> these courses have. You don't. I'm sorry um, for the Rosetta Stone lovers out there. The commercials are false. Nobody has ever taken Rosetta Stone. I know this because I tried it when I moved to Mexico <laughs> and came away speaking a language. I learned how to say something like, el pájaro rojo está encima del avión, which is the red bird is on top of the plane. I have never in 10 years of speaking Spanish had to say the red bird is on top of the plane. It is just not a – there was one that said the kid is under the plane. I'm like, I hope I never have to say that ever. <laughs> <laughs> like who came up with that one? Um that's why we give these free courses. 
Mm. Partially. The other reason is not everybody can afford a tutor. We know that. Sure. Um, and unfortunately, we can't give tutors for free. Our tutors also have to support their families. But for those people who are really motivated and want free material, that's what we have it there for. They can go Got on it. our website and they can study Spanish, German, Croatian, uh, mm. whatever they want for free on our website. Um, and we won't charge them a penny for it. That's very cool. Um, yeah, so I interrupted you about the oh. SEO tactics that you were talking about. But so you you basically put all of these things on all these free courses on the website so that people would link to it. So you were building up your, you know, the links that were pointing to your website. What else can people do out there if they don't have that sort of thing uh, sure. to put up on their website? Create it. Um but there's actually a methodology to it and not to plug it, but I'm actually creating a course right now on how to do this. And I've been doing it for years. I finally gotten around to documenting my process for creating links. And if you guys see live link again, there's a reason why we're one of the top three. It's this SEO process I've done. I'm not going to lie to you. It's very time consuming. Um, when you're creating a business, what's the formula is easy time, time, time plus money equals success. You have a lot of money. You can do it in very little time. If you don't have a lot of money, it takes a lot of time. Um, <laughs> And my expertise is much more on that. You know, I have no money. It takes a lot of time. Yeah, right. <laughs> SEO is free. It doesn't cost any money to do SEO for the most part. Now, there are tools out there that can make it better for you, and they do. They have costs. But you don't need to use those. Those just save you time. Um, basically, what you do is you create something cool on your website. And I'm going to call it content. Now, when most people hear content, they think write a blog post. That's fine. It's just super competitive right now. Um, unless you're like, you know, Ernest Hemingway of, I don't know, pottery and you have a pottery blog, you're probably not going to get too many people reading your pottery post. So you need to do right. other things to stand out. There are other ways of creating content, podcasting, just like you're doing mm -hmm. um, videos, YouTube. That's getting very saturated as well. Podcasting is not quite saturated yet, but it's starting to get up there. Right. Um, but you can also create hybrid material, which is, you know, an article with audios in it, with a video in the article, with an infographic in the article, with – so you can create this really cool content out there. I have a methodology actually to evaluate your content ideas. It's got formulas. There's a spreadsheet I use. Um, once my course is done, I will let you know so you can, you know, share it with the people that are there. Perfect. Yeah, we'll uh, that, put that, it that your listeners. Link. Yeah. And I would um, – you know, what I'm going to be teaching is step-by-step step how to do this. Pretty much it's – because – Another thing I learned is people write these blog post articles that nobody reads. I mean, and right. I, I'm guilty of it too. I've hundred, I've you know, I've written or I've even had people write hundreds of articles for me. Nobody read them. Mm -hmm. That's because I didn't do the research up front. I can actually tell you whether anybody's looking for it. One, whether there's a good one out there, and whether you can beat it in SEO, which means can you get on the first page? You know, because if you find that the top ten is Google.com, Apple, and Amazon. Yeah, forget about it. Don't right. even bother writing that article. You are just not going to beat those guys. But there are other ways of finding articles that's there. So that's the beginning of the process. Once you do that, my method is pretty much you just find other people who have linked to the top 10 articles. And there's tools you can use to do that. And then you contact them say, look, you were interested in this before. I've created this updated version, a newer version, whatever you want to call it. Would you be interested in linking to it? There's some tips and tricks in there, but I get about a three to five percent response rate when I do that. So I get three to five percent of people who link to the old articles to link to my new article. And some of them are pretty cool. I've gotten radio interviews, newspaper interviews out of that, this process. Um, I've gotten affiliates. So if you have any affiliate marketing, I've actually got, you know, gotten people to sign up for our affiliate program due to this outreach. So 
the process definitely works. It is very time. If you don't have the tools, I mean, one article will take you eight to 10 hours to do this entire process for. If you have the tools, you can do it in about three or four. Um, but again, if you don't have the money, spend the time and it will work for you. But SEO is not rock. It's not the silver bullet. People, I did SEO consulting for a while and I got frustrated. They'd say, it's been three months and I'm not number one in Google yet. I'm like, of course you're not number one in right. Google yet. <laughs> that was that easy. Everybody in the world been doing it be for doing three it. months, right? Exactly. You know, one to two years minimum in a mediocrely competitive space, probably to get you on the first page. Again, unless you have money, if you can hire a hundred SEOs to do it, you could probably do it in a few months. Um, but it doesn't cost you money. You can mm. do it in your free time. Just be disciplined, as I was saying about it. Just be disciplined and put an hour into it every day. Within a year or two, you might have a business that makes a decent side income, if not more, if you find, you know, if you pick the right niche. So let's say somebody out there that's listening is, you know, just starting a business and and has launched their website and wants to rank, you know, on, on Google. However, they don't have tons of resources. Um, what are the three things that you would say will bring them the most, uh, you know, that, that are going to work the best? Like the, you know, you, there's a hundred things that you can do to rank. What are the three things that you would say that, you, that they should do the most bang for their buck? So to say, yeah, SEO has got the concepts are simple. The implementation's hard. So the first one is do on page SEO for just go online they're free ebooks on how to do it. They're basic standards. Your title tag should be this, all that. That um, The second thing they should do is keyword research, which is tied to this and the third point I'm going to do, which is make sure you're ranking for what people are actually looking for. You'll be surprised. You know, I recently was doing some research. I was training somebody on this methodology and we were doing research on an article for Valentine's Day. And I thought that, you know, what's the most romantic language would have a lot of searches, right? No, nobody in the world searches for that. But I found something called, you know, what, what's it? What is the most cute language or something like that? I don't remember exactly what it was, but I was shocked it had 10 times as many searches <laughs> as what I wanted. So if we had written the what is the most romantic language article, we would have only gotten like five visits per se. Um, if we wrote what is the cutest language, we would have gotten 500. That kind of decision is why you need to do the keyword research. And that's why you optimize the, optimize the on page. Final one is link building. You need people to link back to you. As far as Google is concerned, those are votes. So, you know, the more people are voting to say your article, your page is the best, the higher you will rank in Google. Not all votes are equal. If you had a link from Google's homepage, that's totally different from your mom's blog. You know, if your mom says, hey, I, lo I love Mitko's new podcast and, you know, she's got a free blog spot blog. Sorry, that's probably not going to take your ranking up very much. It's I'm gonna, not going to hurt, gonna, but that's it. Yeah. You can tell my mom that. Exactly. But you should still do it. It's not going to hurt you at all. But, you know, don't, just don't expect miracles when, when, when our moms link to our stuff. I know that from personal experience as well. So you're running this business. It's kind of starting to do better, right? It, it's getting, you know, it's successful. What was life like then when you had this successful online business? What did it, what did it feel like? What, was, what, was, what did your life look like then? Uh, I'll let you know when I reach that point. <laughs> So you don't feel, feel like, like you're, you don't feel no. like you're successful yet. Like you don't have a successful business. How come? That I feel like I have a successful business. I don't feel like I'm successful yet. And I'm not saying that kind of in any. Yeah, my wife will tell you. You know, low self esteem is not one of my faults. Um, you know, it's, and I think you need a little bit of this kind of self, high self belief to be a successful entrepreneur. But the counterside to that is you're always 
looking for more. And I just recently gave a talk at the university, I think on last Friday. And I, you know, I was telling people when I started off, I'm like, when we, if we could make $2,000 a month, keep in mind, I live in Mexico. So $2,000 a month is like, you know, middle upper class here. I'll be happy. Then we made $2,000 a month. I'm like, eh, still not, I'm still worried, still worried about money. So how about $3,000 a month? How about $4,000? It just keeps going up. There's really, maybe there is a point where you hit it and you're like, yeah, I don't need to start making any more money. I haven't reached it yet. Um, but it, and let me put a counterside to that is I don't spend money ever. I mean, I literally, I have t-shirts from college and I've been out of college for 15 years. Um, it's not for that. I just don't want to have to worry about money, right? I don't want to right. have to worry. I've been at places, and I think a lot of your listeners will be there, where I have to worry about paying rent. My car broke down, and I put on my credit card and spent three months paying that off. I hate that feeling. Hate right. it. Going out with your friends, and they're all buying like rounds at the bar, and you're like, I don't know if I can afford that. I mean, it's like 30 bucks, 40 bucks, which you know may not be that much money, but at the time, you're sitting there like, how am I going to pay these 30 $40 off? I never want to feel that again. Um, and businesses are fluctuate too much. And I know that I told you I've lost businesses right. overnight. I want to have enough money in my bank account that I don't have to worry about money for the rest of my life. I'm going to have a, we're going to maintain a middle-class lifestyle. I have no intention of, you know, buying fancy stuff, anything like that. The only place we splurge, splurge a little is on travel, but those are for experiences. But, you know, I'm not going to buy a Ferrari, but counterside is we did rent a Ferrari for the day in Italy when we drove, drive around the country. Nice. So, you know, um, that is a dream but, of mine right there. It is. It was a lot of fun, but you're, you get really nervous when you're, you're driving it because <laughs> right. I'm like, I don't want to ding it. Don't ding it. It's like the, even the copay on the insurance is like a, you know, a ridiculous amount of money. But I don't want to own one. I mean that's just not right, – yeah. we're looking for houses to buy in the US when we move back and everything's like 3,000 square feet. And I live in Mexico where like the average house is 1,200. I'm like, what would we do with 3,000 square feet? I'm like, you know, I'm just not used to those things. So we want right. a small modest lifestyle. Um, but that's why. Uh, I don't think I don't consider myself successful. And even when you are successful, it's responsibility to give back to others, which means your success bar moves. It's about how you can help mm. others, and you'll never be able to help everybody in the world. So um, keep moving. It's it, it's funny that you say that about how like, the success bar moves because I mean, even though I don't have you know a huge business like yourself, and uh, you know we're. I'm definitely not as successful financially as you are, but I do remember, you know, thinking like, oh man, if I could only make a thousand dollars a month remote, all been like, there, I though. would be set, you know, like yeah. that's all I ever want. And then I that promise happened. you when you do it. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's not going to happen. Then, it's not, yeah. Right. And even like, and it's so quick, like that bar moves so quick because I was talking with my girlfriend and like, you know, you always like kind of like want to push that envelope and you want to do a little bit better and you want to grow a little bit more. And like, she was like, Mikko, like, Stop and think about a year ago, you know, like you were saying that you wanted to be here and now it's already, you know, the bar's already Your moved, girlfriend so. reminds me of my wife um, <laughs> because it's the same. I'm the head in the clouds guy. She's the feet on the ground. Um, right. I think you need both in life because yeah. head in the clouds where the dreamers were the ones who try to push the envelope and to grow. The world needs that. Mm. But we need people with our feet on the ground to keep us because otherwise it can go to our heads and we can kind of lose touch with, let's say, what's really important. Mm -hmm. I'm always thinking about three months, six months, a year down the road, 10 years down the road. Where are we going to be? Um, as I told you, I don't plan in the mm -hmm. you know, in the sense, in the traditional sense, I don't write it down. But, you know, I want to be at a certain point in 10 years. She's worried about what we're having for dinner tonight, <laughs> which is great because otherwise I would be starving because right, I wouldn't right. eat. I mean, I'm thinking about what's going on 10 years. So you kind of need that balance in the life. I know 
personally, I don't have the balance, but luckily I'm with somebody who does, who helps me reach that. Well, that's important. Well, if you could go, you know, if you could communicate through time, that sounded really cheesy. But if you had any lessons that you could give to the Ray who's just starting Live Lingua online, what that that would make their life easier to get to where you are at now? What what would those lessons be? Like, what would like the one or two lessons be? One lesson: focus. Um, our business always grew quickly when I focused and lost when I, you know, I had the shine, like any entrepreneur, shiny object syndrome, right? Right. Ooh, I should do this for three months. I have so many half built businesses. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I only moved back to my main business when some kind of fire happened, right? Whether mm-hmm. our expenses went up or the server went down or SEO went in and I had to focus on it. But by doing that, our businesses exploded. Mm-hmm. You know, we want entrepreneur magazine, one of the best small businesses in the U S in wow. 2015. I didn't know that. that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how that happened. I was, you know, we applied. I didn't really expect anything of it. I was actually in the Philippines. I, I think I've mentioned it to you before. I also own a small – I'm an, an angel investor in a small chocolate factory in the Philippines now. But we were there. I was helping with some business processes with my partner. And they came back. It's like, you won. You need to be in New York City in three days for the award ceremony. We're like, I'm on the other side of the planet. I couldn't – we couldn't go. I mean, it wasn't only right. us. There were about 30 people. They were doing it too and there were categories. I think three people in our category. Where's um, your but, chocolate factory? It's in, a, in the Philippines in an island called Bohol. Um, it's okay. we're based out of there. It's called Ginto, Ginto Chocolates. Um, yeah, that's a, that's an entirely different story of how, how that came There's about. so many different podcasts that we could do about, <laughs> exactly. you know, like, you know, the Peace Corps and, you know, the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, I was actually just in Manila uh, like two oh, weeks nice. ago. I just got back. So I was there for yeah, 24 Manila hours. I had a layover. A, yeah, Manila is Manila. <laughs> I mean, you know, I won't say too much about it. Get out, and the rest of the Philippines is beautiful. Sure. Uh, you know the sure. countryside; the people are super friendly. Um, you know, well, even and we're going on a on like a Philippines tangent now, and I promise we're gonna come back to the business stuff. But what was really strange was so we we came back to we were in Southeast Asia for about a month, and we did uh, Bali, we did Thailand, and then we had like a twenty four hour layover in Manila. So we went out to see, and the weird thing was. I've never been in a place before where there were no other like Caucasian people to the point where I was walking through Manila and we didn't see any Caucasian people and my girlfriend is super blonde and we're walking through the park and all these kids just rush us and start taking like like selfies with my girlfriend and it was so like – I don't know. It was the first time that I felt very like um, (laughs) – I don't know what the word is, but it was very like exciting, very interesting. And, and you're like what, six foot one, six foot two? You probably yeah. if anybody oh, passed I, your shoulders, I would be shocked. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I could see. In Manila, they're taller everybody. than the rest of the country. Keep in oh, mind, wow. in Manila, they're taller than the rest of the yeah. country. You go to Cebu City where I'm from, or mm-hmm. Bohol, where my chocolate factory is, and I'm five eleven, they do not pass my shoulders. You're I LeBron. Mean, and my yeah. wife is like five eight. And yeah. <laughs> I'm I don't think we we touched on it, but I'm half Filipino, half American. Grew mm-hmm. up in the grew up in the Middle East. My wife is Mexican. We they don't think I'm Filipino though, because I'm just so much taller than everybody else that they right. just assume. And the way you carry yourself when you I mean I didn't live in the Philippines for more than six months after mm-hmm. I was born, but you know the way you carry yourself is very different. But Filipinos are very friendly, so it's you oh, know the, I, the I, you speak for you, I, I can't speak for you, but you didn't feel intimidated when a bunch of kids ran up to you. You were just like, oh my gosh, you know. Was... No, and I mean, we were actually so surprised because I mean, everywhere that I travel, people are nice. You know, generally speaking, you're only going to run into people who are nice to you. Like 
or at least that's been my experience. But when we were in Manila, I mean, people were like, ma'am, sir, like, uh, thank you, thank you. Like, everybody was just smiling. Like, so, and it was so, like, odd because, I mean, we were only there for 24 hours. So we were, like, kind of dazed and, like, confused and, you know, just kind of like, what's going on? And everybody was super nice. So it was, it was a lovely experience. And Manila's uh, a beast, though. So, you know, you guys had, it's, I believe it's the dense, the city that has the densest population in the world, kind of per wow. square, square mile. It has more people than anybody, any other place in the world. So it's, Traffic is horrendous. Um, but yeah, if you ever get a chance to go back to the Philippines, go out to places like Bohol, which is a kind of a touristy island, Palawan, mm-hmm. which is over on the, you know, on the west, kind of off to the west. Tons, you don't have to do anything. Just rent a car and just drive out of right. the city. And one, you'll run into a beach in like two hours in any direction because it's everything's islands. My kind of uh, place. Exactly. And the cost of living there makes Mexico look. I took my family out to eat. When we were there before, about 30, 35 people came. We went to a restaurant with waiters, not like high end, but you know, waiters. Mm-hmm. They were bringing out. The whole meal cost like 40 bucks. I mean, and this was for like takeaway at the end, and everybody had people had rounds of beers and everything. The whole thing cost like $40. It was ridiculous. Wow. That is yeah. nuts. Well, yeah, if you guys ever have the chance, if you're listening, if you ever have the chance to go to the Philippines, go. Uh, Sarah, my girlfriend, and I definitely think about going back. We saw some pictures of the islands, and we were like, "Okay, next time we're coming here." But I want to let me know when you go. I'll I'll hook you up. Yeah. Oh yeah. Can we, uh, you know, maybe get some uh, chocolate tastings while we're over there? You will get all you can eat chocolate (laughs) while you're there. I promise. Oh man, that is a spelling. an interesting, delicious time, but yeah, <laughs> we're definitely gonna have to hit the gym afterwards. So I want to bring it back to, a little bit to Live Lingua because I know from speaking with you that you guys have recently started out building a remote team and being a much bigger team. What made you want to do that, right? Like Live Lingua is going well. It's, I mean, you're not gonna say successful, but it's a successful business. You guys are running well. You're making enough to live well. Why build a team? We got to the point where we were – how do you put it? And this is the cliche of working for our business, not working in our business. Mm. Like many other people, I believe it was when I read the four-hour work week that you know a little light bulb went off in my head. I've read the book since and it doesn't resonate as much. So I think you have to read it at the right point in your life. And I've, there are a few books that I've read that kind of – they resonated with where I was in the moment and four-hour work week was one right. of those. And he talks about being burned out and how he decided to hire a Filipino virtual assistant. Maybe it was an Indian virtual assistant in his. I can't remember. Um, since I have the Philippines connection, the first, you know, at that point, I was getting burned out. And I was like, OK, let's give it a shot. So I went online. I found a Filipino virtual assistant. And I'm going to say at least for the first week, it felt like my life had changed overnight, right? Suddenly, I was super busy to one or two hours of work a day. Um, there's two sides to that. One, you'll always have a honeymoon phase when you start with a new staff member. Everything looks great. That will end in three to six months, I promise you. Um, not necessarily a bad thing. There's way, the things you can do to avoid that. But I didn't know that the first person we hired. So I did nothing to avoid it. I just hired them. I think we created an operational manual like a text and I said, read this. But that was pretty much the only training I gave them. Um, and the, the counter side is, yeah, I freed up my time. But being entrepreneurs, I easily found other stuff to do. Um, and got back up to 10 hours and felt busy again. Started a chocolate factory. Yeah, I think that was a few years later. <laughs> but yes, I mean, <laughs> I, I think I started a bunch of failed businesses at that point for a few years. Um, but it got me on the track and got me kind of thinking about it. After having failed at hiring, I hired them and they just didn't work out. There's a 
I put a lot of the blame on me as well. There are certain things you have to do to motivate virtual employees that you wouldn't necessarily have to do if you saw people day to day. Kind of that personal touch. If you hire, what would that be? You know, you said like, what would be the differences? Like, what do you do to motivate those remote workers? It depends on the culture they come from. Um, and I have a hierarchy now that I talk about about hiring virtual teams because I've kind of worked my way through the hierarchy, so I've developed it for myself. The first one is when you're starting off and you just have maybe a few hundred dollars of disposable income. So budget is still an issue and you can't really afford somebody from the West, quote unquote, the West, right? Strongly recommend Filipino virtual assistants. I'm biased. You can also go with the Indian ones, but I found that culturally Filipinos, you were, you were there for a day. That friendliness is kind of across the culture. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you're looking for some administrative virtual assistant to do repetitive tasks, I think Philippines is the place to go. You go there, you get them. And their motivation is they're probably the breadwinner for their family. Mm. So their motive, which is a good and a bad thing, um, because it's very hard to motivate them more kind of with extreme, you know, external stuff for self-growth and all the rest of it. That doesn't tend to motivate them very much. It's a cultural thing in the Philippines. It's all about the family, all about the group. It's actually frowned upon by a lot of people if you become super successful and the rest of your family isn't. Um, mm. So there's kind of a limitation there. Just paying them double, triple, quadruple is not necessarily the way to go with the Philippines. So that's the motivation there is the pay. Make sure you pay on time consistently. Treat them politely and crack the whip every once in a while is what I learned mm. at the end with the Philippines because they are so nice that you sometimes feel bad to correct them. But if you don't, they start slipping more quickly right. and eventually – you know. You'll get a lot of sob stories about families. I hate to say it, but it's a stereotype and it will happen to you. Half the time, it's not true. Mm. I mean, I have a lot of friends who work with Filipino virtual assistants and it was just, you know, but that, as long as you keep the discipline there, that usually doesn't happen. And you will find some awesome ones. It might take you two or three tries, you know, to get through that. So that's for the Filipino virtual assistants. The next one, the next level I went up to and not entirely, but I've generally stayed mostly at that level is hiring expats. I think that works wonderfully. You can pay an awesome salary for the country they're living in. For example, let's say Mexico where I'm at right now. If you can pay like $2,500 a month, that is a huge salary down here even for an expat, especially if they're residents. So wives, husbands of people working with people you know, who are living here. Maybe they married a Mexican, so they're going to be here for the rest of their lives. That's more than they would probably get for any company here. But you get high skill sets. You know, I have my assistant. She's got a master's in, I think, organizational communication. She's originally half half, half Flemish, half Canadian, speaks English, French, German. I couldn't afford her in the United States or even in Europe. Right. <laughs> but she's been working for us here in Mexico. Um, you know, I, my class coordinator is the same. We're all virtual. The perks that we allow them are the freedom to work from anywhere. For the right kind of person, that's huge. I've had, you know. Every single person on my team has worked for me. The full-time people have worked for me from multiple countries. I can't think of anybody. One of my one of my class coordinators, which is what we call our customer support team, she was originally from Denver, but she's worked for me from Greece, and she's in Patagonia right now, and she's going to be there for the next year. Originally right. from the United States, but that's what she loves. So I might not pay as much as she would make in the United States, but she's living in a little hobbit hole. I mean, literally, it's like this mud. It, there's a town in Argentina that's known for that apparently. She's house sitting. Well, so as long as no they rent. have Wi-Fi, right? <laughs> she says the internet's faster than it was in Georgia, where she was from in the United States. So I have no idea how that works nice. out. Um, but you know, my 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 content manager worked three months from Bali for me last year or the year before. Um, those kind of perks now for the expat group, because the fact that they're expats 
means they like to travel. I mean, by definition, expat, right. somebody's in another country. Um, so giving that freedom is the perk that works out well for them. When you move up to the U.S. side, then it becomes a little bit more, and I don't, this is not saying this is a bad thing, it becomes a little bit more about pay and personal growth. So, you know, mm-hmm. offer training incentives, offer higher salaries, and that's the way to keep the top talent in the United States. So depending on the phase you're at, the motivation will change. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So how did, you know, now that you're growing the team and how big is your team right now? Core team is nine full time. Yeah. The the teachers, we have over 200 contractors working with us every month, but yes. But the internal team's nine. Nine, including myself. So, and before you started growing kind of aggressively the team, how, how big was the team then? Me, my wife and the virtual assistant in the Philippines. And how long ago was was that? Two years. Okay, so in two years, you guys have grown from essentially being just the two of you in the in the Filipino VA to having nine people. So yes. how has that? What has that have been like? How has that changed the company? And what sort of new things have you had? What sort of process have you had to implement in the company to make that work? I have a lot more meetings. Uh, I guess that, that, that would be the big thing. One of the things I like to do is, first off, I don't believe too much in a kind of hierarchical structure, you know, everybody re- reporting to me. Um, so I like to keep it a little more flat. I have one-on-one meetings with all the core team every single week. So my Thursdays afternoons are pretty much full of meetings. We have one team meeting together, which will happen this Friday, um, with everybody on Friday. So everybody meets and we have a one team meeting where everybody actually makes a we make a presentation in every meeting about one big project we're working on. So everybody knows what everybody else in the team is doing. Mm-hmm. I run the team meetings like masterminds. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar, it's pretty much what have you done the last week? If you weren't able to reach something, why not? And how can I help? And then mm-hmm. what, what can you, they decide, what are you going to, what are your commitments for the next week? And that's mm-hmm. kind of, they decide it's not me. I give them overall overarching responsibilities and goals and they do have KPIs that they have to, you know, Hit, to yeah. measure. Um, but they decide how they're going to do it. We also offer, you know, additional training. So if somebody's interested, one of our class coordinators is very interested in social media marketing. We're paying for social media marketing courses, um, for her right now. So there's growth of it. They know there's growth available within our business that they can move into something else, um, while we're there. So that's one, one thing that changed the structure. With a, with a team of this size, it's still pretty easy to kind of be pretty hands-on. We use project management software. We use Asana. So that's kind of how we keep track of everybody. But it's not so big that, one, everybody has my direct contact. So if they need to contact me, it's there. They know, generally speaking, Wednesdays is the, the do not contact Ray Day. Um, so I mean, come, I put my – What happens that's on the day I get work. That's the day I get all my work done. Uh, that's, I put your, myself on, that's your deep work. That's time. my deep work day. Yeah. Well, actually, gotcha. exactly off of um, you know deep work, um, right. I put out four Child hours. Is the most, exactly. One of my favorite authors, also so good he can't ignore you. So good they can't ignore you. Read that mm-hmm. if you haven't read it. Uh, you know he's one of my favorite business authors, um, and that's why I have Wednesdays. The rest of the week, I used to get frustrated when people would interrupt me, but then I realized that's my job. I mean, literally, my job is to support the rest of the team. It's not like they work for me. I kind of work for them, um, and that's what I'm here for. So to provide them tools, I've done every role that's in, in, that exists in our business right now at some point. So I mm-hmm. tend to, you know, I know at least not to say I'm an expert, but I know, I know how to do customer service. I did that five right. years, you know, for us. I know how to program so I can talk to our programs. I know how to do marketing. I can talk to our content manager. I've done these things. Um, they're experts in it, but I've done it. So I can at least give them feedback and talk to them about that. But you hire the right kind of people is the key, not necessarily the right kind of skill set. I do believe that because you can train the right kind of people. How do you um, make sure that you hire the right kind of people? I wish I knew the secrets. 
we do go through interview process and three month trial is what we do with every staff member, including our teachers, our contractors who work with us. So that's the only way to do it. You, you interview people and then before you fully hire them, you put them on like a three month uh, contract where they work and you get to kind of see how they work. And then depending on how they do during that, you hire them full, full time. Exactly. Exactly. But I think that's the only way to do it. And our interviews are very different. I don't ask any technical skill questions because that's what the resume is for. I mean, I can read it. I can see, the, do you know how to program in this language? It says the first line of the resume says they know how to program in this language. Why am I going to do it? Um, right. For technical ones, I might put one question related to it just to make sure that they can do what they want. You know, maybe mm-hmm. a little programming question or something. We do our interviews in three rounds. Um, the first one is a written interview. So usually, let's say, I pick about five to six applicants for that. And I sit, send them the written questions. Give them a week to answer. Um, based on those, I pick two but usually about three to do the in-person interview. And then we do the in-person interview and those are actually more of a culture fit interview. They're not a skill interview. So we ask questions such as I'd have to bring up, I have a list of about seven questions, but if you jumped in a time machine, went five years in the future and met yourself and yourself in the future told you my life is amazing. Why would that be? Mm. We ask those kind of questions. Um, I also ask some, you know, um, <laughs> How quickly do you think on your feet kind of questions? If you had a red brick and a white towel, what are the two things you can do with it? You have 30 seconds. Go. Are you doing this to me right now? If I'm, I'm doing this to you right to... now. If you have a, 30 seconds. R- if you have a red, red brick, brick and, a white... and a white towel, what would you do what? with it? Together. What would you do with them together? How many? What kind of things could you use them for? Uh, man, I just <laughs> got put on the, on the spot. There you go. Uh, Weirdly, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, there was a show called there's a show called um, Green Street Hooligans. I don't know if you ever seen that movie, and they used to like wrap things up and like use it as like weapons. And it's kind of very bad that that's the first thing that came to mind. About there you a go. Towel there's one. The there's one. Come up with another one. Come up with another one. Come up with another one. You have another um, fifteen seconds. You could use it to like bring something to you like if you're stuck you could like you know wrap it up into the towel and like scoot it over because it's like heavy i don't know oh man i feel like i'm failing this there you go i'm sweating yeah we do that in the interviews um we give them 60 seconds not 30 i didn't want to take up too much of your okay. podcast and we change the objects um you know that are there this is a this is a kind of a trick that i came up with and the, it's just about create there's no wrong answer I mean, you know, you could mm-hmm. say I tie the towel around the brick and pretend it's Superman and run around the room, right? I mean, there's no such thing as a wrong answer there. It's about creativity. Yeah. I found a direct correlation in these questions to how well they do in the business. If you can get four to six answers in a minute, mm-hmm. those people tend to do well. People who do less tend no don't tend to do well. Huh. So I'm I didn't not a do psychologist that. I'm not, enough. I'm not getting well, hired. You did 30 seconds. We're on a podcast <laughs> and you didn't know you were in an interview. So you, you had totally different. But that one about pulling stuff towards you, I'd actually never heard that before. So that was a that's another point in your favor. Um, I'll I'll take it. Exactly. But I mean, we do those kind of questions in our interviews and that kind of works well for the culture fit side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the trial because, but even then we've done all that and people have worked for six months and I've had to let them go because they didn't work. If anybody figures out the secret to HR, they will be a very, very wealthy person. Nobody has yet. (laughs) Right. And there's people who still have their masters and PhDs in this stuff and they still have to figure it out. So, so, if you could just to ask another question that I, I'm kind of repeating from earlier. Now that you've gone through the whole process of hiring on, you know, all these new people that are full time and how that has affected the company. If you could go back to the Ray before you, you know, you did this massive expansion, what would you tell that Ray as like a lesson for what's 
to come ahead? Plan your hires, the order of your hires a little bit better. Um, mm. I thought positions I needed at certain times were X. Let's say I need a programmer, let's just say. It really wasn't. I hired a programmer and it might have worked or might not have for the actual position. But then I realized, no, that's not really what the company needs to move the needle right now. I need a marketer. I need a custom, I know another staff and customer support. I need an executive assistant, whatever. Um, my inexperience, I didn't know then how to decide who to hire at the time. Um, I've learned strategies since then. There's the whole, you make the list of stuff I love to do, stuff I don't mind doing, stuff I hate to do, and then kind of hiring people in that. But So that you hire based on things that you hate to do like you, you start hire on the hate first. to do and then you move 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 your way over it until all you have left is the stuff you love to do the middle column tends to be the hardest because you don't mind doing those things but you might have to keep some of them i still pay all the salaries because i'm not going to give somebody else mm -hmm. the keys to my bank account um but that's a general methodology it's not it's not a hundred percent because stuff you hate to do is not necessarily the stuff that needs to be done the most right. um because I used that methodology in the beginning and that's what I found out. I'm like, wait a minute. I might hate to do that, but that's not really what the company needs to grow. Right. The company Strategically. needs this. Exactly. So um, how would you do that now? How would I do it now? I would use a similar system, but I would also rank them. And I do do this. I rank them by importance in the business. And there's no way I could, you know, there's not a way that I could say do this for every single business. Mm -hmm. At least I've, I haven't figured it out because I, my, you know, my knowledge of businesses is pretty limited to my niche. But within your business, you'll have a pretty good idea of what's necessary. There is an order to things based. Well, there's two sides to it. Again, if you have, whatever, if you have an unlimited budget, you have a, you make this in different decisions, right? Right. Yeah. Speaking strictly bootstrapped, you know, no yeah. investment or anything like that. The, then use that that idea that I came up with. Figure out the stuff that's taking the most of your time that somebody else can do is the first thing that I would do. Something that's repetitive. Mm. Most of our jobs, at least half of them, half of it's repetitive. How much time? Easy one and usually the first step most entrepreneurs do, including myself, answering emails. Customer supporting emails more than anything else. 80% mm -hmm. of them I've seen before. I mean, you know, when I was answering them, I mean, they're not new. Only about 20% of them are. So I hired the VA to do it. They would answer the 80%. If there were the 20%, they would mark them for me and I would go and do those um, until I got a much more skilled customer support person who could then take over 100%. Mm -hmm. But that freed me up to focus on what my sweet spot is, what I enjoy doing and I'm good at doing. Um, not necessarily my passion. It would be a little different. I don't actually believe in finding your, you know, following your passion. I kind of build, believe in constructing it mm -hmm. and that we tend to be passionate about what we're good at. So mm -hmm. if you become good at something through hard work, you will probably be pretty passionate about it. Right. It doesn't matter you're what gonna it is. You're going to learn to love it, you know. You're going to learn to love it because – we're ego-driven animals. So if we're mm -hmm. good at it and everybody's like, damn, you're really good at that. All, every, all day, every day, you're like, yeah. I like, you know, your, your, your shoulders will go back. You'll start, you know, walking them more straight. Regardless of whether you were at the beginning or it's a natural talent. Um, mm -hmm. So I believe in kind of building your passion. And that requires in business focusing on what you can do in your business to grow it. And then hire those kind of the tedious side things off. You'll never be out of it 100%. I mean, I still check every morning the emails that come into our customer service because I just skim them. I don't answer them, but I just kind of skim them. Make sure we're not doing anything wrong. If I have a whole bunch of people asking for refunds in a day, I'm like, okay, whoa, what's going on, Something right? Something went wrong, yeah. Something went wrong, and then I have to talk to the customer service people and like, what happened? Um, mm -hmm. So I'm not 100% out of it, but I am about 90, 95% out of it. I don't answer emails 
at all. And they contact me, you know, once every two or three days with something that's just so unique that we don't have a process in place for it yet. And then we create the process so that mm-hmm. they don't have to do it. In the future. So that would be my advice is, you know, hire people to do the repetitive tasks first. After that, it depends on your business. You know, if your specialty is marketing, you're not going to hire a marketer. You might need a program. Right. Gotcha. But so it varies too much after that. So now that you've grown a team, how has, you know, your life personally as, as the owner of the company, how has that changed? Is it better? I, is it worse? Like, you know, we travel three months a year. That kind of helps. Um, did you not do but that I before? Also, not when it was just me and the, my wife in the Filipino VA. No, mm. because if, you know, the Filipino VA one for the first few years, they didn't work the weekend. So I would still have to answer emails on the weekends. I see. Which is fine, you know, two days. But, I, you know, weekends is our low low season. People surf the web much more at work than they do when they're on their free time. So, like, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, we have a big spike in traffic. And then on the weekends, it dips. So there weren't that many emails on the weekends, but I still have to do that. Now that we have the team, though, I'm not going to say we can fully disconnect. We can for a week or two and nothing will happen. But, you know, three months, that would be a little rough. But we're always working or always on vacation depending on your point of view. Like, if I wanted to take a nap today – I for two hours, I could do it. I mean, nothing would happen with the business. It wouldn't collapse. It wouldn't fall apart without us. We go went to Japan for a few weeks last in September. Nothing happened. I mean, I checked the emails in the morning, made sure everything was okay. I had to answer a few work-related emails. Then we'd go out and take a look at the cool castles and, you know, have some udon noodles for lunch. Went, took a cooking class, came home, and I checked the emails again. So, you know, my question is, is was that a work day or was that a fun day? Sure. To me, it's the same thing. I mean, you know, I was having fun and I was working. Even days of my normal work are kind of like that. I mean, if I want to take time off for two hours and play computer computer games, that's fine. Nothing will happen. Um, so that was the big difference with our team. We have some great people on our team right now. Um, and things move forward much more smoothly than they used to. We still have hiccups. And I'm still learning. As I said, I still don't feel successful. I don't, you know, you see all those, like you see the Bill Gates and stuff. And it's like, these guys seem to know it all. I'm looking at them like I have no idea what, how they do that. You know, I'm having, I have problems running my team of eight. They run teams of 80,000 or however many staff members they have there. But I bet if you talk to them, they would also say the same thing, right? Where they, they might not feel like it's the imposter syndrome. I don't sure. feel like a successful entrepreneur, though we have a seven figure business, which in some circles would make us a successful entrepreneur. I don't feel that way. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my life hasn't changed since we had a six-figure business. I mean, you know, since we only had a gross hundred thousand dollars. I live in the same house. You know, I nothing's really changed outwardly. So you haven't, like, you know, I don't know, like treated yourself. Uh, you know, you're not, you know, you don't have the Ferrari that you said, but no, exactly, we have nothing. <laughs> There's nothing in our house that's. I bought a nice laptop, which you know, it's a computer programmer for the. You know, this was. That was like four years ago. I still have the same one. So I haven't bought a new one since. But I did buy a nice laptop once because I used to buy the old $500 junkers because that was all we could afford. Literally, my laptop before this, the screen was held up by duct tape because the, the things had broken. And I couldn't. And it was one of those where you turned it on, had, went and got a cup of coffee, came back, sipped it, and maybe Windows had started up. <laughs> um, so it was a nice change into this. But I still – I've had this four or five years and my wife's trying to get me to buy a new one. I'm like, no, it still turns on. Why am I going to do it? So yeah, things don't really matter to me. Like physical stuff is not something mm-hmm. that really – I have an urge to buy. That's good. That's a that's a good financial thing to you know. Well, I, I guess so. <laughs> I say I'm, I'm much more worried about not having money than I am about having something nice. So – I gotcha. So what is, uh, what's next for you? You know, what are you working on these days? Um, you know, is there anything that you're excited about that you'd like to share with us, uh, with the listeners and stuff like that? 
Within LiveLingua, we're doing. Uh, we hired this really awesome, you know, user experience company, and they're going to be working with us exclusively for the next six or seven months. Um, it's it's a kind of another boutique agency, and I met them at a conference, and pretty much they work with one company at a time, so they don't have multiple clients. Their entire team works for us for the next seven months. So I'm really excited to see what they're nice. going to be able to discover and change on our website. Um, get our message across about what we do, because what you know, our specialty is pairing. Qualified teachers with the best, uh, qualified students with the best teachers, it doesn't come across very well on our website. Um, mm -hmm. We kind of look like our competitors. If you just kind of glance at us, we look a lot like our competitors' website. Hopefully, they will change that. So that's the big thing we're working on in LiveLingua. On a personal note, um, I was convinced by somebody I met at a conference to start a podcast. So we are in the pre-production phases of that. It's an agency, so we're going to hopefully have a whole team working for me, working with me over there as well. And we're, I'm going to be creating a podcast about where my career has led me, which is the intersection of online entrepreneurship and online education. So I'm going to be creating, the name is to be decided. So take a look in the show notes. Hopefully I'll, Mitko made me promise that I would send him uh, the name once I had it. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll post it up. Exactly. So people can find it. I don't know what it's going to be called yet, but pretty much if you're a teacher or educator who wants to get online and make money, that's what I've been helping people do for 10 years. I mean, that's what, or if you are a entrepreneur who wants to expand into education, create a course, sell and market that course, um, I can help you there as well. My experiences become that bridge between the, t the education and the online entrepreneurship. And I'm going to be helping people kind of bridge the gap and, you know, from both sides of the, both sides of the picture and try to get them up online. So I'll have people, I'll have teachers on there. I'll have entrepreneurs. I'll have people who educators of different stripes. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be reaching out to founders of, you know, educational company, uh, software companies. So they can hopefully bring them on and they can talk about their tools. So entrepreneurs and educators can use those and learn more about them. So I'm kind of, I'm excited about doing that. I've never done that kind of thing before. And I'll have courses tied to that as well to help guide people along the way. I mean, you know, I guess if I'm teaching how to make online courses, I probably should have some. So, yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, what are some, you know, like books or resources, um, podcasts that you listen to that you have found, you know, super, those are just examples of, you know, <laughs> things that you can mention, but things that you have found, you know, super helpful for you in your journey. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Audible. So for those of you who don't have an Audible account, um, get one. You know, because you can get two audiobooks while you're there. I listen to it while I'm in the gym. Um, that's not enough. And then I buy the books that I really like afterwards. Because when you're listening to the gym, you're not getting every point, right? When they walk you through 10 steps, sorry, you're not going to memorize them while you're, you know, mm -hmm. trying to, you're in the squat rack and you're doing your last <laughs> rep or something like that. That's not really the top. But at least you know it exists. Right. So, you know, I'm like, okay, I can go back and reference this book in the future. If you like the book, you buy it. Um, so, Audible is a must i think for almost any entrepreneur i go through three or four books a month just on audible and then i read a few more business books myself um, not counting the books that i read um, for fun for the book side of things i recommend four hour work week um, for those of you who haven't read it it's there's a reason why it's a bestseller and almost any online entrepreneur has read that book it's kind of you know like the starter book for online entrepreneurs and i think it's one of the most quoted books on amazon kindle or something like that like it's I one of the most highlighted or yeah yeah, yeah. i mean it's, like it's huge if you're gonna get into the space you have to read it because everybody else will for be sure. referring to it and you need to kind of at least know it's what the they're Bible. talking about yeah it, exactly exactly <laughs> so that's one of the books that you know really influence where we're at right now i've 
let's see, some of the other ones that I really like within the business sphere is one is called um, Story Branding um, by Donald Miller. I would recommend that. It's more about it changing the mindset as an entrepreneur. It's we're not the heroes in the story. Our customers are, and we should be the guide. So if you're looking, if you're a geek like me, the reference would be, we're not Bilbo Baggins. We are Gandalf, you know, kind of thing, you know? So I, I like using that where we're the, where the wise guy comes in, helps the hero reach their journey. So that was a really good book that helped me, you know, change my mindset on, um, on business. I think read that in the last two years. He also has a podcast, a really good podcast related to it. Um, Expert Secrets, that's a good one if you want to get into consulting and selling more of your personal brand. Um, that's one I just recently read. I can't remember the author off the top of my head, but you shouldn't have any – it's a bestseller. So you shouldn't have any trouble um, reading it. There are a few other books that aren't quite business-related that I do actually you know, recommend a lot of people read. Power of Habit, I think his last name is Duhigg is the name yeah. of the, uh, yeah, uh, I think of the right. author. Yeah, so that that one um, I mentioned that discipline is one of the things that I kind of credit to where I'm getting me where I'm at, and that book talks a lot about that. What was it? The Happiness Advantage. Nothing to do with business, but it has a lot to do with being happy with where you're at um, in a non-foo-foo way. Because I'm not a big into the whole tell yourself you're a good person and you know you'll believe it in 30 days or something like that. A lot of psychological studies and science behind you know, happiness journaling and there are different techniques. You won't have to do all of them. Um, but that book actually has been one of my favorites as well. And on the podcast front, I like informational podcasts. So I listen to specific ones on like SEO and Facebook ads and all the rest of it. I used to listen to a lot of inspirational podcasts, but I've stopped doing that recently. And by inspirational they're fun, but you know, the ones where you listen to, again, Bill Gates being interviewed by somebody. Mm -hmm. Awesome. But then I'd sometimes come a, kind of come away and I'm like, I didn't really learn anything there. I mean, yeah, I was inspired, but yeah. He's, yeah, yeah, nothing actionable in the podcast, because he's just such a high level. Right. You might've said some actionable stuff, which is great. If you have a 10, you know, hundred million dollar company, that's probably an actionable piece of, you know, advice to the rest of us mere mortals, financially speaking, that we're not gonna be able to do that. It's like, yeah. Hire and you know hire somebody from McKinsey Consulting to come in and bring a, bring in a hundred people and your business will grow. I'm like great, I can, you know I can afford <laughs> right. I can, if I could afford a hundred McKinsey consultants, I'd be retired right now. I mean right. you know I wouldn't be doing it for my business. So you know I've stopped I've stopped listening to as much as uh, many of those things because I come away super inspired and have very little to do. You know I, I can't act on it, so I got kind of frustrated with it. Those would be my main tech the main things that I do as far as kind of continuing education. I'm a big fan of Udemy. You know, get on there. Nine bucks, you can learn to do anything. I mean, yeah. anything pretty much from, you know, belly dancing to graphic design. I mean, Udemy will teach it to you for nine bucks if you're willing to put in the time and the work. For sure. Well, this is, an, you know, a podcast a lot about, you know, working remotely, but also a lot about entrepreneurship. And one of the big things about entrepreneurship is making sure that you're solving people's problems, right? So as a business owner, what is one problem that is a thorn in your butt right now that you wish you could pay somebody to solve it? Uh, I'm, this year, what I've – my goal is to document all my processes. When I say document, not necessarily mm -hmm. a Word document. I think I'm going to use vi um, like videos. To, yes, but in, in a way that somebody could use it. So the biggest problem mm -hmm. that I would – you know, if somebody could solve right now, I have SOPs. 
they're nice Word documents that are in our Dropbox that new staff might read their first day, but then they never, ever touch it again. Mm -hmm. So if anybody could figure out a way to create some kind of thing, I'm going to call it an you know SOP, but something that would not only educate in the beginning, but would continually educate the staff members, you know, or at least follow mm -hmm. them through and guide them while they were doing it. Um, not like a big brother kind of thing, like every single right. step of the way, because those systems exist, like CRM systems, but something that kind of keeps people on track, but also allows them to have the freedom to make their own decisions. So it's kind of like a AI SOP kind of thing, but just kind of with a, just a general, make sure that they, they're walking towards the right mm -hmm. destination. I don't care how they walk, whether they drive, they take a bike, or whether they take the scenic route or whatever, right? But as long as they're going to the right place. That's a really high-level concept of what I need. If I knew – if I had a more detailed idea, I would probably build it. But I, I can't figure out how to do it myself. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Um, I know that you said that you had something that you were going to let the, the listeners have. Yeah. Um, so for Live Lingua, if anybody – any of the listeners are looking to learn another language, within – Two months of this podcast being released, so I believe it'll be March and April of 2019. They can use a coupon called with the coupon code TRS2019 at LiveLingua.com when you sign up for classes, and we will give you 10% off all the lessons that you buy on your first purchase. Well, thank you so much for that, and uh, I might get on that. I've always wanted to learn Spanish or I used to study Spanish. I forgot it because exactly what like you're talking about, so who knows? Maybe I'll get in on that. Thank you so much for being on the show, man. I, I really appreciate it, you know, taking the time out of your day and to share your knowledge with us. So thank you. My pleasure, Mitko. Thanks for having me on.